0: Good morning or good afternoon, whatever time you are watching us today and wherever you're watching from. My name is Pastor Josh alongside my wife, Joanna. We have the privilege of serving Lighthouse Church North County as its campus Pastors, and wasn't worship just incredible right now? Come on, type into the comments section your highlight of worship. Put some clap hand emojis in there, put some fire emojis. It's always great to interact. And while you do that, do us a favor let us know where you are watching from. We love seeing all the different parts of North County that are tuning into our services. Come on, tell us if you're from Vista, tell us if you're from Fallbrook, Oceanside, San Marcos, Carlsbad, we just love seeing all the different places that people are logging in from. And hey, listen, before we get into our message, and this is normally the time we get into our message, we're going to pause and do something real special right now. Normally at this time, I'll just dive into the word, but we shared some exciting news with the church on Tuesday. Now, I hope you had an opportunity to either join us in person or to watch us via Zoom, but if you didn't, we made an announcement we have a potential new home for Lighthouse Church. Come on, light up that comment section with some clap hand emojis. And I say potential because we're not quite there yet. Um, We are very close. We are in the process of um, getting the lease worked out. We have our attorneys looking at it, people much smarter than me looking at the lease. And while we are doing that, I am taking the opportunity to get capital raised. We are beginning a capital campaign. Our goal is to walk into this new facility with $100,000 in the bank so that we can upgrade the facility. We want to put some fresh carpet. We want to put some fresh paint. We need to get a stage built out. We need to get our instruments put in. We want some top notch children's facilities. Now the great news is we have all kinds of material being a portable church. We got a lot of resources. We have instruments, we have sound system, etc. But we've identified some gaps and in order to fill those gaps we need to raise some capital to get us there. And so I would like to encourage you Lighthouse Church to continue to be faithful in your generosity. You know it is because of your generosity your continued support of the church that we are even able to pursue this building as the new home of Lighthouse Church. Listen, uh, we've counted the costs and then we would not even be attempting to go into this facility if we did not feel good about your giving, about your generosity and your faithfulness to advance the kingdom of God through Lighthouse Church North County. So here's what we're going to do. The giving options are coming up on the bottom of the screen now. As always, there's three different ways that you can give. You can text the number that's there on the screen. You can go to our website and you can give by clicking on the give link on our web address. And there's also a third option for those of you that prefer to just write a check. Our mailing address is coming up at this time as well. Go ahead and send that in the mail if that's your preferred way of giving. We try to make this convenient and we try to make it accessible for everyone. But as you get ready to give, I want to remind you of three things that that we talk about when we talk about our generosity. First off, generosity, is worship. When we worship God, we're lifting our hands, clapping our hands, singing our song, That that's a part of worship. But the giving of our resources, the, the giving of our finances, that's also a form of worship. And when you are faithful with that, you are faithful to worship God with your finances. The second thing that it does is it advances the cause of the kingdom. Listen, I've spoken at length over time and time again of the ways that Lighthouse Church is impacting our community and kingdom-based initiatives outside of our church. We've done some incredible stuff helping the homeless community, helping fatherless children, helping uh, rescue women from sex trafficking. We've even helped launch a church. Yes, we're a one-year-old church, but we sold into another church so that they can get off the ground as well. And, And we've been able to do that because of your generosity. So when we say your generosity advances the kingdom, just know that we mean it. We're putting your dollars into action and we are advancing the kingdom of God. And finally, your generosity accelerates the vision. When God puts a vision on our heart, whether it's in my heart, my wife's heart, we bring it to the leadership team and we say, hey, this is the vision that God has given us. And through your generosity, it allows us to go and do those things. So it accelerates the vision of the church. So, I just wanted to remind you of that as we get ready to give right now. So, thank you in advance for your generosity. And at this time, I want to remind you of something that we see every single week. We're getting ready to start the sermon. So, take a moment now and share the link and share the love. When you share the link, you are t- you are sending this message to someone's home and you'll never know who needed to hear this message today. Well, are you ready? Let's get into our word today. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. We are continuing Continuing our series called Above All. I've even got it on my shirt today. Above All. That's been our theme for 2020. We've been preaching on that since the start of this pandemic. And what we've been doing in this series is we are looking at all of the miracles that Jesus performed while he was here on earth and he was active in his earthly ministry. And the reason we are doing that is when we see what Jesus did, we see who he is. When we see the things that he did, whether it was his hands and feet where he was going, the people he touched, how he spoke, and things just had to happen, we we are getting a fresh revelation of our father because the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus bodily. So when we see what we did, we get a better idea of who he is. And listen, so far, what we've seen is there is nothing greater than our God. That's why we say he is above all. Matthew chapter nine, verse 27. I want to read a passage of scripture and let's get ready to go. Here we go. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, son of David. Have mercy on us. They went right into the house where Jesus was staying, and Jesus asked them, Do you believe that I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, We do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it will happen. And suddenly they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, Now don't tell anyone about this, but instead they spread his fame all over the region. But while they were leaving the house, some people brought to him a man who couldn't speak because he was possessed by a demon. So Jesus cast out the demon and instantly the man could talk. The crowds marveled. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel. They all exclaimed. Now for the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought that the Lord has put in my heart. And it simply says this, it's in The house. It's in the house. Come on, let's take a moment and pray. Father, we are so thankful for these moments that we share. We are so thankful, Father, for the time that we had to worship you, both with song and through our generosity. And now, Lord God, I pray that you would open up our hearts, you would open up our minds to receive. Your word. Father, I believe that you are going to speak in a way that my words won't speak. You are going to go right to the heart of every person that is watching and you are going to give them a word. And Father, your word may not even be connected to what I'm saying because it is your word. It is the way that your word is going out today. So we just pray, Father, that as your word goes out, that it will accomplish what you set it out to do. We ask all this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's in the house. When I look back at my childhood, um, I was fortunate to live in my parents' house for a very long time. And what I mean by that is my parents didn't move a lot. We got the house when I was about six years old. And from the time I was six years old to the time that I got married when I was 23 years old, I stayed in my parents' house. So you're talking about a long, long time in my parents' house. Now, something that that was really cool about being in a house that long. My parents owned that home for a total of about 27 years before they eventually sold it. Um, but what was really cool about being in that house is I can look back and I have a lot of memories of living in my parents' house. And I, and, and, and I say that because when I first got married, when, when my wife and I first got married, well, we, we started off like a lot of young couples in a one-bedroom apartment. And uh, I think we figured out in the second week that a one-bedroom apartment was just too small for us. And so we only stayed in our one-bedroom apartment for six months. And then we upgraded, if you will, to a two-bedroom apartment. And we had a little more space. You know, if ever we needed space from each other, it was like, you know, I'm gonna go to the other room. Uh, That rarely happened. But but if it did happen, we had space in our new two-bedroom apartment. But here's the Deal. A couple of weeks in, we realized as great as this two bedroom apartment is, it's still not enough room. So after six months, we moved out of that apartment and we actually bought our first home. It was a three bedroom townhome, two story and garage. And, and all of a sudden we're, we're now adulting, if you will. Um, and, and, and the reason I, I say that, and the reason I want to highlight that story is in our one bedroom apartment and in our two bedroom apartment, we only lived there for a total of six months. I can't tell you very many memories that I have in that apartment. We just didn't live there long enough for me to have very many memories. And even now, I'll tell my wife, and sometimes we'll bring it up. I'm like, do you remember anything about that first apartment that we lived in? Do you have any stories attached to the location? Now, undoubtedly, we were taking vacations. We were newlyweds. We were having a good time. But but I said, no, 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 no just, just the apartment. Do you, do you remember what the closet looked like? I, I don't even remember what it looked like. I just remember the AC only being in one bedroom. And my God, when it got hot over the summer, you did not want to be in the room that did not have the AC. unit. I had the... But but very very vague memories, and it, it contrasts with my father's house because in my my dad's house because we lived there for such a long time. I have all these amazing memories of looking at of living at my. Parents' house. I mean, and if you and if if you lived in your parents' house and they didn't move at all, and you just kind of stayed there for a long time, I think you got your own memories too. I was thinking about, I was thinking back on some of my memories, and because it's summer, I I remember watching so much MTV during the summer. Come on, I grew up on a lot of Beavis and Butthead. God help me, I've repented. It's a part of my testimony now. He's forgiven me of that stuff that I used to watch, but but I watched so much MTV in the summer and. I would go swim at the community pool that was just across the street from my parents' house. I remember having sleepovers with my cousin and, uh, you know, it would start off as one night and, and he'd stay for like seven nights. And, and those were just some of the, the best memories that I had growing up in my father's house because we stayed there for a long time. We didn't move very much. We, we remained there in my parents' house. House. Now I, I, I wanted to get you thinking about your house because as we go into our text right now, the miracles happened in the house. The miracles happened in the house. And here's what I mean. When we catch up to Jesus at this point in the story, last week I talked about Jesus healing Jairus's daughter. So if you missed last week's message, I want you to go and catch that. And you can go to YouTube and go to Facebook and you catch the entire worship experience. But but where this story picks off in the scriptures, it's when Jesus is leaving Jairus's house and he's headed back to his home and Capernaum, and and this is where the story picks up, and where the story picks up is we have two blind men. I mean, blind blind men somehow finding where Jesus is, and now following him. So they got word that Jesus was at Jairus's house. They they somehow get there, and and again just that in and of itself lets you know uh, just how desperate they were. That these two blind men somehow found a way to get to J- get to Jairus's house, and as Jesus is leaving, they begin to follow him, and, and the scriptures record that they're they're crying out to him, they're crying out to him for him to heal them and he continues to go all the way to his house and it's not until he gets home that he then performs the miracle he restores their sight and then the bible records that as these blind men are exiting the house in comes in another man who is who is possessed with the demon the scriptures say and as a result the effect of that possession is that he can't talk he's mute he's lost He's lost his voice. And and so when the Pharisees now saw Jesus cast the demon out of that man and, and this man began to speak, what they saw was two miracles that happened. First, Jesus heals these two blind men, and the second thing that they see is that Jesus cast the demon out of that man, and he's able to speak. And the Pharisees, I mean, they were hating, or as the young people say, they were shook, okay? But, but they, they weren't happy with what happened in the house. And that's what I want to unpack now that I've given you the text. When the two blind men follow Jesus and began to ask him for their healing, watch what happens here in the scriptures. Jesus ignores them. Now that's kind of harsh, isn't it? This is the the creator of heaven and earth, the the man who had just healed Jairus' daughter on his way to healing Jairus' daughter. He he heals the woman with the issue of blood. And now there are two blind men who think about all of the logistics involved. They somehow get to Jairus' house and Jesus ignores them. He, he, He doesn't pay any attention to them. I mean, this is like hashtag mean Jesus. It's like, don't you care that these two blind men are calling out to you? They're saying, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus ignores them. And just know that that's not a coincidence, Uh, He he is the omniscient God, meaning he is the all-knowing God. It's not like he couldn't hear them. He knew that there were two blind men following him. And what Jesus does is he keeps on walking until he gets to his house. What does Jesus make them do? He makes the blind men follow him. And it's not until Jesus is in the house that he heals the two blind men and when that's done, he opens up the mouth of the mute man. And here's where I want to go with the text now. Okay, I've set that whole thing up to bring you here. And this is the first thing that I want you to write down. Some things only happen in the house. I'm going to say that again. Some things only happen In the house at any point in time, Jesus could have stopped, looked at those two blind men and healed them on the road. But he didn't do that because the miracle needed to be done in the house while they are navigating their way to Jesus's house where Jesus was staying. Jesus gives them nothing and 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 that's significant. I want you to understand the significance of this because Matthew, the writer of this story, he could have chose to pick up the story when Jesus arrives at the house that he was staying in. It probably would have saved face, if you will. It would have made, it would have made Jesus look a lot better to not include the part where it's like two blind men follow Jesus and he ignored them. Uh, I, Matthew could have left out that detail and just said, when Jesus arrived home, there happened to be two blind men that made their way to Jesus's home. But no, 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 no. The, the, the writer inserts into the text for your benefit, for my benefit, for our benefit, that these two blind men found Jesus at Jairus's house and they followed him all the way to the place where Jesus was. Was stained because the writer wanted to make sure that you knew that you knew that Jesus could have performed that miracle on the dusty road, but he chose not to. Why? Because the miracle had to be done in the house. It is in the house and I believe that we can grab something from this passage if we understand why Jesus would want to wait why would Jesus want to wait and and what was so significant about the house so that got me thinking what's so significant about this house Jesus why did you make them wait until they got into the house to heal them what's so special about this house well here's what we know the house wasn't Jesus's You see, in Matthew chapter 820, Jesus said to a group of people that wanted to follow him, he said this, the foxes have holes and the birds have air and, and, and the birds in the air, they have their nests. But the son of man, he's saying, but me, I have nowhere to lay my head. What Jesus was saying is I am homeless. Now, now he chose that lifestyle, if you will, because uh, his homelessness was not a condition where he was living in the streets. He had plenty of people that were willing to host him. I mean, this was the son of God. So uh, he had plenty of places to stay, but he made it a point to say, I don't own a home. I don't have my own house. I don't have my own place. That got me thinking. Then, 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 why Jesus was getting these men into the house so important? So I began to start reading about the different houses that that we find throughout the Bible. Because throughout the Bible, we he we read these phrases that say the house of the Lord or the house of God. In the Old Testament, it was actually used to describe. The temple now the temple changed so many times in the old testament uh, first it was a tabernacle which meant it was portable it was like propping up a tent and taking it all down and in the tabernacle there was this room that was called the holiest of holies and and in there was the ark of the covenant and, 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 and on the ark of the covenant was a mercy seat and, and the high priest would come there that was called the house of the lord it was the place where his divinity and our humanity collided that was the house of the Lord. I think about some of the other significant houses that we read about in the scriptures. You see, David wanted to build a very nice temple for God and God said, no, you can't do that, David. You, you, you fought too many battles and you've been involved in too many wars. You've killed too many men. There, there's too much blood on your hands. But what you can do is prepare all the furnishings for the house and I'm gonna commission your son Solomon to build me a house. So, so David said, okay, well, if I can't build you a temple, I'm going to prop up a tent. So David had his own tent and the Bible called that a house of the Lord. And then As I mentioned a minute ago, Solomon eventually created a temple for God, and that was also the house of the Lord. If you fast forward way, way, way later into the history of the nation of Israel, eventually Israel is taken captive by Assyria, and they spend hundreds of years in captivity, Eventually, now that Babylon has conquered Assyria, uh, the Jews pleaded with the king of Babylon. Can can, can we go back home to our land now? And, and, And so there was these Jewish exiles that returned back to their land, the land of Israel. When they did, what's the first thing that they did when they got back to their land? The Bible says that they built The temple, the house of the Lord, before they built anything else, they built the temple, the temple of the Lord. So you see all throughout the Old Testament that there was a reverence and there was holiness that was attributed to the house. Now, now in the New Testament, we read that the house is no longer a physical location. The house of God no longer is a physical location. Paul said this of the house in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you are the house of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? And in Galatians six ten, Paul makes this statement. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Where am I going with all of that? after Jesus was crucified and ascended into heaven, the house was no longer a physical location, but anywhere that we found the spirit of God, both individually and corporately. It's both. We are the temple of God. And Paul says, you belong to the household of faith. So, so I am the house that the spirit of God dwells in me. I uh, singularly am the house of God. But Paul says, but when we corporately come together, we are now the, the household of faith. Let me paint this tension for you because we're living during the quarantine time and during the quarantine time, churches can't even gather in buildings. It's only now that, that, that churches are allowed to gather with all kinds of um, restrictions and we're praying that this time is going to blow over. Uh, but but you, you heard this a lot. You'd hear people say, we don't need a building in order to worship. God is in us, and you are absolutely right. But does that mean we should isolate ourselves just because the Spirit of God is in us? Absolutely not, because as Paul says, you are a part of the household of faith. And if I could say that another way, Paul was saying you're part of the faith family. And because we are a part of this household of faith, God has created, catch this now, this big, beautiful, diverse family of faith. And Paul says, we're to do good with the family of faith. All right, let me ruffle your feathers right now. Get ready. Buckle up because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up in your stuff right now. And in this household of faith, there is both Republican and Democrat. And in this household of faith, there is both liberal and conservative. And in this household of faith, there is both black and there is white. In this household of faith, it is a big, beautiful family. Paul says, y'all do good to one another. As a matter of fact, the church, when we understand this, we ought to show the world what it looks like for black and white and right and left and, and Republican and Democrat to get along. I'm going to be honest with you. God did not call me to pastor a church full of a bunch of Republicans. And God did not call me to pastor a church full of Democrats. As a matter of fact, I don't care what your voting party is. I've come to pastor a people that are aligned with the kingdom of heaven. And people ought to be able to come into a church and say, you know, those of you that are on opposite sides of these agendas, you all love each other. You're not bickering. You're not fighting. You're not engaging war on social media. I think this is what the Bible was talking about when the Bible said this are the followers of Jesus. This is how they knew that they were the followers of Jesus. They had love for one another. It was just that simple. They had love for one another. And Paul said this is the household of faith. It's all backgrounds. It's all tongues it's all tribe together. Can I take you a little further? I was having a great conversation the other day with Salah. Salah's on our lead team. He's also uh, the CFO of our church. And he started asking me these questions and Salah, if you know, Salah, he asks good questions. And so he's asking me these questions. And I had to pause. I said, you're asking a lot of questions that are relative to the North American church. I said, but the church in Africa, these questions don't apply. And what happens is we think, (laughs) we think the church is a North American church. We think that the church is is what we are experiencing in our first world. (laughs) And when you hear that, that, that language, first world problem, sometimes that's how it is in the church. Sometimes when they're asking, should the church do this or should the church do this? I'm like, you know, none of that even matters in Africa or none of that even matters in some other part of the world or maybe some third world country where being a person of faith, they could care less about political parties. You do realize that is an issue of the American church. Not necessarily an issue of the church. And so it's not just what we deal with here in America. The church is so diverse that when we get to heaven, we're gonna meet a lot of people. And we're gonna see a lot of people that we had no idea were a part of that church. So I, I try not to get too tunnel vision. Just 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 my my little first world North American church and think, no 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 the church is much bigger. The church is much broader. And and the things that are our issues, we think, oh, my God, they're big, 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 big issues. God's like, you know, I got a church in Europe that ain't fretting over this stuff. They're not as worried about this stuff. And it's all the church. Now, now, OK, I've talked at length about the house. I've talked at length about us being a part of the household of faith. Let, let's get back to these three men in our store, because two of these men were blind and one was not able to speak. Write this down. It's not just that they couldn't see and couldn't speak. Here's the application. These men lost their vision and they had no voice. These men had no vision and they had no voice. And listen, Jesus could have restored vision and he could have restored that voice anywhere. But guess where he chose to do it? In the house, in the house. Because I believe that our vision and our voice needs to be found in the house. Our vision, the vision for your life, the vision that God has for you and your voice, I believe that could only be found in the house of faith. I believe that could only be found in the house of God. I believe that your voice should be found with your faith family. And here's what I am finding right now. And this is a big problem with, let's talk to it now, the North American church. There are too many young millennial and younger Christians that are not finding their voice in the house, but they're finding their voice on social media. Yeah. Their voice ain't coming from the house. Their voice is coming from social media. And here's an issue that I see. We have too many young people that are more concerned with being woke than they are concerned with actually knowing God and what God's plans are for their life. You all better light up the comment section right now because we have a generation that would rather be woke than they would know God's plan for their life. I'm just woke, Pastor John. You don't understand. I'm just woke. I'm like, how woke are you? You still living at your parents' house and you're 35 years old and you ain't got a career yet. How woke are you? Sorry, that was rough. I take that back a little bit. But listen, I'm not. I'm not saying. that that we ought to be misinformed or uninformed. I'm not saying, and I am not advocating that we should bury our heads in the sand and act like this world doesn't have issues and doesn't need us. But where is the generation that's greatest desire is to know God first? Where's the generation that will seek first the kingdom of God. Where is that generation? We'd rather be woke than seek the kingdom of God. We'd rather be Instagram informed than actually read what the scripture says about social justice issues. We're, we're turning to social media to educate ourselves and the original fighter for justice is God and personified in Jesus. This is what King David said about his desire to know the Lord. He said, there is one thing that I've desired of the Lord and that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Psalms 8410, the psalmist wrote, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Watch this. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked Where has this desire for the house of God gone? Where has this desire to commune with the household of faith gone? We've lost our vision and we've lost our voice. Listen, if your voice, listen to me, Jesus follower, you that are watching online right now, you are a professing Jesus follower. If your voice is only used to push your political opinions, where has your voice gone? Where has your voice gone? If your voice is only used to push your political ideologies, where has your voice gone? If that's the only thing that you are doing to, to if that's the only thing that you are using your voice for, I believe you've lost your voice. When, when, when God breathed his spirit in you and when you were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, some of you speaking in other tongues, what God did is he not only put his spirit on the inside of you, but when you began to speak in other tongues, he gave you a new voice. He changed the sound. The, the, the Bible says this, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You've been redeemed. You have a voice. It should sound different. I don't want to sound like some Instagram influencer. I want to sound like a Jesus follower. But too many people have lost their vision and they've lost their voice because they are not rooted in the house. And I'm coming to a close now. As I said earlier, I, uh, um, I was speaking with a friend of mine recently. I, I told you one story about Salah. I was having another, story, another conversation. It was not with Slaw; it was with someone else. And, and we began to talk uh, about the, the plight of biblical illiteracy in America, <laughs> in, the, in the North American church. I, I told them this. I said, biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high. And I said, we've got a problem on our hands. But then I got to thinking, biblical illiteracy is actually just a symptom of a greater problem. Do we have a, a biblical illiteracy problem? Absolutely. But, but here's the bigger problem. The bigger problem is the church no longer desires the things of God. So when you don't desire the things of God, of course, biblical literacy is going to go down. We've got a generation that has no passion for the things of God. And 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 listen, I found that while God is everywhere and he is everywhere, just like he was on that road walking from Jairus's house back to the house that he was staying in, there are some things, your vision and your voice that God will not cultivate and that God will not breathe on you unless it happens in the house. That takes time. There is a process to that. Listen, God's presence is everywhere. But his anointing doesn't flow on anyone and anything. God's anointing is reserved for those who desire the things of God. God, the the, the presence of God is is felt in a greater capacity by those who desire the things of God. That have a heart like David and and a heart like the psalmist that says, I just want to be in your house. Jesus could have healed these blind men anywhere, but he said, no, 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 you're going to get your vision back in the house. You're going to get your voice back in the house. For those of you that are watching right now, if you that are watching are far from the house, let me tell you, you can come back. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm let me talk to you right now. It's time to come back with everything going on in this world right now, with this, this second wave of the, uh, of the coronavirus, you, you, you've got no time to mess around and you've got no time to play. You've got to come back to the house of God where you can get a fresh vision for your life again, where you can find your voice again. He's in the business of restoring vision, and he's in the business of giving you your song back, giving you your praise back, giving you your worship back. But you've got to come back to the Father's house. Come on, right there where we are. Let me pray with you. Father, I'm so thankful, Lord God, for everyone that is watching. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others. Or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.